0: We have a very special treat this morning. Um, COVID has affected this moment because uh, a, a relationship, a friendship began between me and Ron. Um, I think I was reminded that it was in January we first met, and then COVID came. And so he, he was going to come speak, and he graciously allowed us to go, hey, can we kick that down the road? And he said yes. He said yes to everything. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a list of what I'm going to ask him for after the service this morning because he's yet to say no. But Ron is becoming a friend. God has brought him and his family, his wife Donna, back to California. I believe you're natives of California. I did learn he has a connection to the Dodgers, so God's grace will help uh, in that part of the relationship. But he is here in California. He has moved back here, and he is serving the, the regional network of Southern Baptist churches. Him and his wife have been married for over 25 years. that Correct. He has served as an Army paratrooper. He's super cool. I'm just telling you up front, he is super cool. He has served as an Army paratrooper, as a chaplain in the Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Air Force. And I'm going to ask him about this afterwards. But he has preached in Saddam Hussein's throne room. I want to know about that before you leave this morning. That sounds really cool. He has earned a Master of Divinity in Pastoral Ministry and a Doctor of Ministry in Expository Preaching. He is the author of Preaching Illustrations from church history and what i love most about him when you read his bio is that he sees himself as an ambassador for jesus christ his heart is for churches it's for pastors and churches and that is why god has brought him back to northern california to serve pastors and churches to encourage them and this is a season where we need that so this morning i encourage you to open your bible we are continuing our study the book of luke luke the gospel of luke and ron would you come please and would you give ron a, a crossroads welcome as he opens god's word
1: Well, thank you for that. It is so wonderful to be here, and let me tell you why. In the midst of all this craziness that we all are continuing to go through, there is something unique, something special about what we're doing right now. Encouragement that can only come from God's presence and God's people. And I love to see what, what is happening here and... Uh, as Kurt mentioned, God has blessed me with uh, getting to know him. And any time I see a pastor who is uh, so in love with God and has a heart for God's people, that, that blesses me uh, just beyond uh, belief. And so let me give you this perspective. We all know that it's, uh, it's challenging to walk by faith. It's been challenging in the midst of of COVID to walk by faith. The uncertainty, the difficulty, the challenges, for some, the losses. And yet, it is, I believe, even more difficult to lead by faith. You have a pastor who makes it just seem so easy what he does, his ministry, his leadership, his his uh the, the way that uh he's doing what God has called him to do he makes it seem so easy let me tell you i know it's a challenge and so would you continue to encourage your pastor would you continue to pray for your pastor continue to thank god for giving you the pastor and the leadership that he has given crossroads church it it is uh it's not always this way it is such a blessing And God, the heart of God is that he wants to continue to bless you. It's what Psalm 133 says, right? How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, for there the blessing of the Lord is. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the encouragement, the blessing that this morning has already been to us. And now as we continue our worship through the proclamation of your word, Lord, we realize that this is your heart and your mind revealed to us. You have given us your word to bless us, to encourage us, to guide us, to correct us, to strengthen us. Every good thing we need, you have given us in your word. So we thank you that... Even though our sins are great, your grace is greater. We thank you that your loving kindness is better than life. Lord, we thank you that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. It is a sad reality that living in a broken world, people sin against God. People knowingly sin. People willingly sin against God in countless ways. And the truth is, it's not just unbelievers who sin against God. Even believers can sin against God. And sometimes that sin is great, sometimes that sin is grievous. And nowhere in Scripture is that more vividly seen than in Luke chapter 22. Two men are highlighted in this passage. Both had the most incredible privilege that anyone could ever have, being in the presence, the very presence of the Son of God for three years. Both saw his power through miracles. Both men heard His wisdom through his teaching, both experienced his love. Both were confronted with their sin, and both knew that Jesus came to bring God's forgiveness. But there is more. Both men were tempted by Satan, and both men sinned against the Lord. They sinned blatantly, and they sinned immensely. Against Christ. As a result, both experienced great regret. Both agonized over their betrayals. One was so sorrowful that he killed himself, the other was so sorrowful that he repented. Two men who experienced the same things in life and yet ended up As separated as two people can be one to be eternally in heaven and the other to be eternally in hell what was it that made the difference and what can we learn about ourselves from this fascinating passage let's look together at what God has recorded for us in his word In Luke 22, Jesus has just had an intense time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is in perfect harmony with the Father, ready to do his will. And what is the Father's will? For his Son to accomplish salvation through his suffering and his death. Look at verse 47. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? The big question here is why? Why is Judas one of Christ's chosen apostles? Why is he betraying Christ? There has to be a reason. Like others, Judas was attracted to Christ from the beginning. In that day in Israel, most viewed Messiah not as a spiritual savior, but rather a political savior. This was true for Judas as well. It was obvious to him that there was something very special about Jesus. He had powers that no one else had. John 6 records that the people seeing those powers wanted to make Jesus king. And Judas shared those desires He wanted the Roman rule over Israel to be overthrown and the kingdom returned to the nation of Israel. And as an apostle, this would put Judas in a great position, a position of incredible privilege and power. So there were many reasons that Judas had to follow Jesus. But spiritual interest was not one of those reasons. Judas was not interested in righteousness. He was not interested in salvation. That becomes clear as we read the gospel accounts. Now, this may seem surprising to you, but following Jesus is not necessarily good. Did you catch that? Following Christ is not necessarily good. The question is, why are you following Christ? Is Christ your master, or is he only a means to get what you want? The Gospels of the New Testament are full of people who follow Christ for the wrong reasons. As Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, He says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father will enter. There will be those who call Jesus Lord, who appear to say words that honor him, who seem to do great things for God, as Jesus says, prophesying, casting out demons, doing miracles, It could be that they really did do those things as Judas really did those things. Or it could be that they only fraudulently claimed to do those things as many have done throughout history and still claim to do. But the Lord makes it clear that, whatever the case, they did not do the will of God and that He never knew them, meaning that these people never had a right relationship with Christ. And on the day of judgment, he will say to them, depart from me. He will sentence them to eternal hell. Scripture reveals that many followed Christ for material reasons. And many today do the same thing, follow Jesus for health or wealth or other worldly reasons. Multitudes in cults and churches claim to follow Jesus, but in reality, they are following what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians 11, another Jesus, a false Jesus that contradicts the words of Christ. So it is possible, like Judas, to follow Christ for the wrong reasons. So what is the right reason? The right Way to follow Christ. Earlier in Luke 9, Jesus said this Whoever would be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So, to follow Jesus means to understand your great need for the spiritual rescue that only He can give. It means to deny yourself. In other words, to give up your sin, to give up your self-righteousness, to give up your self-rule. You give all that up. You take up your cross, which means you die to the way that you want to live your life, the life you have known, and you follow Christ, His leading, His commands. And then in the next verse, Jesus says this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Judas heard those words. He heard this offer of spiritual rescue from his sins, but the words just bounced right off of him. For Judas, Jesus was only a means to fulfill his own desires. And when that didn't work out, Judas became disillusioned. He became bitter. So he tried to get what he could. In John chapter 12, Scripture reveals that Judas was robbing money from the Lord, from the ministry of the disciples. And instead of listening to the repeated warnings of Christ, he became even more resentful, more hardened. He thought about all of those years he had wasted following Jesus. And finally, he devised a plan to betray Christ for even more money. Now, this is the last time that Luke says anything more about Judas in his gospel. But Matthew records what happens to Judas next. In Matthew 27, beginning with verse 2, listen to these words. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed and went away and hanged himself. What is happening here? Judas has sinned greatly against the Lord, and now he is feeling the full weight of his sin, the intense pain of his guilt. That word used in verse 3, translated felt remorse, is not the normal Greek word for repentance used in the New Testament. The word used only means a deep regret. You see, you can have regret. You can have remorse without turning to the Lord, without crying out to God for mercy. But regret and remorse will never take away your sin and your guilt. And yet, in spite of all this, some are confused about the spiritual condition of Judas. Well, Could he have been a believer? Can we really know for sure? Does scripture say anything? There's no need for confusion because God's word makes it clear. In John 6, the Lord calls Judas a devil. In John 17, Jesus calls Judas the son of perdition. That term means lostness. It means destruction. It's the exact term used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 to describe the Antichrist. The very definition of Judas is one who was utterly lost and will remain that way forever. He rejected every opportunity that God gave him. And he will forever reap what he had sinfully sowed. As will all who do not turn to Christ as Lord and Savior. So there are only two options before us either seek God's mercy or go down a path that will result in self destruction. Judas chose self destruction. He does not want righteousness, he only wants relief. He continues to follow the trajectory of his life, doing things his own way. Judas came back to the council to admit a sin, to admit that Jesus is innocent, and then he throws the bribe money into the temple sanctuary and then goes and hangs himself. Why? Because Judas wants to somehow fix himself what he has done. And people do that all the time, don't they? They try to fix the wrong that they have done in their lives. So often people try to make up for the sins that they have committed. They think if, if some good can be done or if some payment can be made that somehow their guilt will be appeased. Some relig- religions even have penance as a way to make amends for sin, That's just more self-righteousness instead of humbly receiving the true righteousness that only Christ can give. This is what Judas is doing. And the chief priests and the elders, they don't even care to listen to Judas. So he throws the silver in the temple and then he takes his life. Back to Luke 22. So that is the sin of disciple number one, the sin of someone following Christ for the wrong reasons. So sad, so tragic. And then Luke records the other great sin against Christ that night, disciple number two, the sin of Peter, verse 49. When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Luke doesn't say who did this, but John in his gospel does. This is Peter. Why would Peter do this? What good is one sword against hundreds of armed Roman soldiers? But that's what happens when Like Peter, you are acting in your own wisdom, in your own strength. You think that you can handle whatever comes your way. You don't see how ludicrous that is. And so Peter strikes at a man in front, the slave of the high priest. The man moves and his ears cut off. Does that seem heroic? It's not. It's presumptuous, it's reckless, it is wrong. God's kingdom does not advance by force. God's kingdom does not advance by the power of the flesh. No, God's kingdom advances only by God's power, bringing salvation to one soul at a time. So Peter is following Christ, but he's following Christ in the wrong way. And Peter has been doing this for quite sometime. In Matthew 14, when they were in the storm, give Peter credit for being the only disciple to ask to get out of the boat, to come to Christ. But then he begins to sink. Why? Because Peter is following Christ in the wrong way. His focus shifts to his circumstances, to the wind, to the waves, and off of Christ. In Matthew 15, a a woman comes to Jesus, a desperate woman pleading for mercy because her daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. What does Peter, along with the other disciples, do? He tells Jesus to send her away because she's bothersome. Why does he do that? Because Peter is following Christ in the wrong way. In Matthew 16, when Jesus reveals to his disciples the Father's plan for him to suffer and die to accomplish salvation, what does Peter do? He actually rebukes Christ forcefully. He argues with him. Why? Well, for Peter, he thinks that what his perspective is has got to be more important than God's word because Peter is following Christ in the wrong way. You see, following Christ in the wrong way has been an ongoing issue for Peter. Look at verse 24 in Luke 22. Right after Jesus tells them, his disciples, that he is going to be betrayed, what does Peter and the other disciples do? Do they have compassion for Christ? Do they stop and say, let's let's pray for our, our master, Do they ask the Lord what would be a right way to respond to what is unthinkable? No. Verse 24, they have an argument about who is the greatest. This is unbelievable. So yes, Peter has been following Christ, but he's been following Christ in the wrong way all along, just like the other disciples, just like you and me, right? Can do at times. So it's just not sinking in for Peter. Look at verse 40. Before Judas would betray Jesus, what does the Lord tell Peter to do? To pray. Does he? No. Why? Well, he thinks that he really didn't need to. Peter is leaning on his own wisdom, he is confident in his own strength. And he's about to see how dangerous that is. Verse 51. But Jesus answered and said, stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come against him, have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Having arrested him they, laid him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, this man was with him too. But Peter denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, you are one of them too. But Peter said, man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is hard. To read. This is troubling. How could something like this happen? How could someone who believes in Christ, who is chosen to be his apostle, who has preached the gospel, who has walked with the Lord for years, fall so greatly like Peter did? The problem was Peter was following Christ in the wrong way. And Peter is now struck with the horror of what he has done. He weeps bitterly. He is overwhelmed with sorrow because of his sin. He's got to be thinking, what hope is there for me now? So, here's the question. What is the difference between Judas and Peter? Both saw their sin. Both were very sorrowful for their sin. But one was forgiven and will be eternally blessed. And the other died in his sin and will be eternally condemned. What was the difference? Turn back to Luke chapter 5. Let me show you the difference between Judas and Peter. It's right here at the beginning of the Lord's ministry. Jesus is teaching the crowd and Peter is there. Peter and his uh, co-workers have been fishing all night without any success. They haven't caught anything, and now they're cleaning the nets. The Lord gets into Peter's boat to get some space from the crowd to teach more effectively. And then verse 4, when he's finished teaching, Jesus tells Peter, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Peter has to be tired after fishing for hours And as an experienced fisherman, he knows that this is completely wrong. You don't catch fish this way. It's the wrong time, and deep waters is the wrong place. But he obeys. He takes his crew out, and they catch such a huge amount of fish that the nets begin to break, and they need help to haul it all in. Peter realizes there is no human explanation for this miracle. And he is confronted with The one who did this miracle. Look at what Peter does, verse 8. He fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter realizes that only God could do this miracle, and he is standing right in front of him. Peter confesses his sinfulness and calls him what? Lord. This is confession of his sin. This is belief. This is worship falling on his knees. Peter realizes he is guilty. He is helpless before the Lord, and he is without hope unless unless somehow the Lord shows him mercy. And what does the Lord do? Verse 10, he says, Do not fear. Why does Christ say that? There is only one reason that a guilty sinner does not need to fear God. Do you know what it is? It's when that sinner has received mercy and complete forgiveness from the Lord. That is why the Lord says, do not fear. That is what made all the difference in Peter's life. It's what the Lord said in Matthew 7. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. But the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life. And there are few that find it. You see, Jesus is saying is that everyone, everyone will go through one of these gates. You will go through one of these gates. Which one did Judas enter? He entered the wide gate. Why? Why? Because that gate is wide enough to take anything you want with you. You can take whatever sin, all your sin with you through that wide gate. The gate is wide enough to take all the baggage of living life the way that you want to live it. The gate is wide enough to take all of your pride and all of your self-righteousness with you. That is the gate that Judas went through, the gate that leads to destruction. But there is another gate that leads to life. It's a narrow gate. It's the gate that Peter went through. You can't bring your sin and your pride and your self-rule and your self-righteousness through this gate. It's too narrow. You have to come through that gate trusting In the person of Christ and the work of Christ alone. That is the all important difference between Peter and Judas. One went through the gate of trusting himself and the other went through the gate of trusting Christ. And the saving grace of God is given only to those who trust his son. Turn back to Luke 22. There's a Key statement here from Christ at the Last Supper, just hours before Peter would sin against Christ and deny that he even knew him. Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You have to know this about Peter, that yes, he sinned. Over and over, he sinned. But every time he would sin, he would run back to Christ. It's what Proverbs says, right? The righteous man falls seven times, but rises. The believer rises through confession of that sin to the Lord, through repentance, through receiving God's great grace and mercy and cleansing and restoration. Peter's faith would not fail. Why? Because of the sustaining power and love of Christ. This is the assurance that Peter have, and and this is the assurance that you have if you are trusting in Christ alone. You have the assurance of His grace, His power to protect and sustain you. You see, like Peter, we will stumble in many ways, and we will repeatedly fail our Lord. But it's the grace of Christ that sustains us. It's what Peter said in Acts 15. It is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. What brings salvation is not just seeing your sin, but seeing your Savior. If you have never received God's gift of forgiveness and new life in Christ, then listen to the words of Peter in Acts 3. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Father, how grateful we are that salvation does not depend on us. If it did, no one could enter your kingdom. No one could be saved. No salvation depends completely on your son who came to this world to live the perfect life we never could to die as a substitute for sin, and then to be raised back to life so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We thank you that our salvation does not depend on us. We thank you that being sustained in this life does not depend on us. Your grace is greater than our sins. You just call us to come back to you and receive the mercy, the forgiveness that we need. Father, we pray that you would do your miracle work of salvation for all who turn to the Savior, even now. And for all of us who have received Christ as Lord, and yet who stumble, we thank you that nothing can separate us from your love, Thank you for the grace that you continually give, grace that cleanses us, grace that restores us, grace that empowers us to follow Christ through all the challenges of this life until he brings us to heaven. What a Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.